Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. You guys need prayer. You know that, right? Anyway, we are going to have a good day. Hey, it's, uh, it's Baptism Sunday and uh, I thought what a great thing to do today uh, to speak about baptisms. In fact, there was a guy in the Bible who was known for baptizing. He was called the Baptist. And uh, some of you may have thought, Baptist, that's just a group of churches. There was a guy. He was called John. He was the Baptist. You'd say, are you a Baptist? He says, no, I'm the Baptist. That's what I do. That's how I roll. So I want to speak to you about this guy, John the Baptist, uh, this morning because it's Baptism Sunday. And I think it's so good that we talk about what that means. And I think John is such a really important and crucial part of the gospel story. So let me tell you a little bit about John. John's uh, mum, Liz, Elizabeth, John's mum, unfortunately, she she was barren. She couldn't have children. And actually, if you read what Luke wrote in his gospel when he wrote about Liz, as he said this, he says, uh, Elizabeth uh, was at, without child because she was barren. So actually, I think that that is there for a reason because unfortunately in Jewish culture, the time that, you know, that uh, John was about to be born, they kind of had this belief that if you couldn't, have children, if you were barren, then actually God was publicly punishing you for some secret sin that you hadn't told anyone about. And so it was becoming evidenced by people's not being able to have children. I'm so glad that I can tell everyone that that's not true. That actually the reason why Elizabeth was without child is simply because she was barren. God wasn't punishing people. God doesn't punish people by not letting them have children. It's not the way that he works. In fact, he loves people. And one of the uh, first things that he said to the very first human beings on earth is go forwards and be fruitful and multiply. I'm so glad that we don't have to consider that every time something goes wrong in our lives, God is actually not punishing it at all. And later on, Elizabeth said, thank you, God, for you have taken away my reproach. So eventually... uh, you know, John's dad, he's, he's a priest, he's in the temple, and the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, you're going to have a son, his name is John, and he did uh, have a son, they called him John, the angel said, you better call him John, so you just do whatever the angel says, right? And so they have this uh, little boy named John, who was born in 6 BC, and uh, John was actually Jesus' cousin. Now, we just did this series on John, but this is a different John. So this is not even the John that wrote the book, uh, the Gospel of John, completely different guy. This is John the Baptist. And so John is Jesus' cousin. He was a prophet, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself. And John, great guy, but you don't want to go over to his house for tea. You don't want to go over for dinner. You see, John had this staple diet of honey, which you would be glad to receive, except he'd followed up with a second portion of, of locusts. And he lived in the wilderness and he ate honey and he ate locusts. And you might think, oh, maybe that's what people ate. No, 
that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, they, if you read what commentators say, they say, that, that's a little strange, actually. Why someone would eat a grasshopper, uh, they don't know. In, in fact, people still eat those grasshoppers today in sort of parts of Africa. But John, this is what he grew up with. So you don't go around to his house for tea. And he is just a straight shooter. He wore a leather belt and camel hair, this sort of, you know, thing that he wore over. And, and he, at the end of the day, the thing you need to know about John is he really doesn't care too much about what people think. He cares overly about what God thinks. Now, it's important to understand that because we're about to hear what John says to a group of people who've actually come together and gathered together to listen to him. So this comes out of the Gospel of Luke. Too far. Here we go. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness, and he went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers also came to him. And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his winnowing fork in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." Even if you don't know what chaff means, you just know that you don't want to be the chaff, right? It almost sounds like you could, it sounds like a bad word. You say, that's, that's, that's just chaff. Don't say that. It sounds like I've just said something I shouldn't, you know? You just know you don't want to be the chaff. We better pray, yeah? Let's do that. God, we thank you that you're here. God, we pray that Today, as we sit under your word, that, Lord, you just convey some 
spiritual truths to us. And Lord, we pray that hearts everywhere here this morning would be open to hear what you have to say. God, we love you and we honour you in this house. And it's such a privilege that on this day, we are able to baptise people who have made a decision to follow you. We pray your presence fill this place this morning. We pray your presence just permeate the atmosphere. And God, I pray that as we're just hearing and listening, Lord, as you speak to us, I pray that we will be so receptive to everything that you want to say to us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever decided that this was your year to lose weight? Some of you are nervously laughing. Because a lot of people, it always happens around January. I don't know what it is about January 1, but that is the time when people will make a decision. Maybe it's because it's summer. I have no idea. But if you ever made a decision, this is your year that you're going to lose weight. You're going to get fit. You're going to be healthy. I made that decision at the beginning of this year. I will also tell you, I'm no closer to my goals. No closer. I even made myself accountable. I said to my wife, Sarah, I said, this will be the year for me. And she said, why are you telling me this? I said, because I want you to know that I planned this at the beginning of the year. Now, I have just set myself up for failure because now I'm a few months out before the end of the year or we're getting, it feels like we're drawing closer. And to be honest, I don't think I'm any closer to that goal. How about that journal you got in, uh, in, in Christmas? If you filled it out post-March, post I'll be impressed and proud of you. Because I'll tell you something, it's really easy to make decisions. It's not easy to make commitment. It's easy to make decisions. It's not easy to make commitments. And actually, that's pretty much what John spent that whole passage saying to people. Everything that we just read and, and, and heard just then, that's the sum of what John was saying. Hey, it's easy to make a decision. It's harder to make a commitment. You know, the interesting thing about the passage that we read this morning is that it says the word of God came to John. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but let me tell you something. That meant everything to the people of the day. You want to know why? Because the last time that the word of God came to anyone was nearly 500 years earlier. In fact, there's a prophet, his name was Malachi. He wrote his last book and he wrote it around 460 BC. And so God hasn't spoken for hundreds and hundreds of years. So when somebody eventually gets the Word of God and it comes to them, everyone should be on edge. He's about to speak. What would God say after 500 years? What would He say to people? And John gets up and there's a bunch of people that have actually gathered to hear Him. And as they've gathered around, they're ready to hear what John says. He's getting ready to open up and he opens with this. You brood of vipers. You don't win friends with salad. And you don't win friends with statements like that. You just don't call people snakes. But actually, that's what he does. He, John, uh, you know, he says, I've heard the word from God. What would God say after 500 years? You're all a bunch of snakes. And let me tell you, maybe we lost something in the interpretation. Maybe actually it was a compliment. No, it wasn't. I mean, that is an insult, just calling people snakes. But it's even worse because as soon as you find out what John was really saying, it cuts even deeper. Do you know what John was saying? He was saying, 
You guys are a bunch of snakes because actually your father's a snake. And he's making a reference to a story you're probably really familiar with. It happened way back in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. And so they said, we don't want to listen to you anymore. And they turned their attention from listening to their father in heaven to the serpent that's speaking to them. And they, what do they do? They rebel against God. And we don't want to hear what you have to say anymore. And so when John says, you're a bunch of snakes, he's saying, you guys are really rebellious. You're just rebellious. These are the same people who've come together on that day. Masses of people to be baptized by him. They're there. They're present. It's like showing up to church and someone says, you're all a bunch of snakes. You're like, well, we're here. It's like, what, John, what are you saying? They're saying he says, your, your, your father is a snake. And he says, don't say to me that your father is Abraham. They're like, but he is. We're Jews. Our father is Abraham. He says, no, 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 no. Your father is not Abraham, maybe by blood, but not by spirit. Actually, spiritually speaking, you may be by blood related to your great, 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 great granddaddy, Abraham. But make no mistake about it. You guys have got a rebellious spirit and nature. Your father, he's a snake. Man, that is just cuts to the core. I mean, can you imagine the silence on the group of people, as soon as they hear those words, it would have been this hush right over the whole place. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe John said this. Israel have got this checkered history of times when they would come before God and they say, yes, we love you. But with their actions and their behaviors, they would never do anything that God really asked them to do. The prophet Isaiah, he said this, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is just a commandment taught by men. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of God there and he says, you guys are just going through the motions. There's nothing serious about this. You're actually just following religious behavior. Isn't it interesting how people can attach themselves to religious behavior and go through rituals and go through process, but be completely disconnected from the heart of God. It's crazy. I'm going to say something that probably doesn't really come as a shock to you, but I think it's still worth saying. You need to make a decision to follow Jesus. You. No one else you. The Jewish people who had gathered to be baptized, they're like, but we're Jews. Do you know who our great, great granddaddy is? To, to be honest, it really doesn't matter what your parents believe. It doesn't matter what they said. It doesn't matter who they are. If you were born into a Catholic family, and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus. You're not Catholic. You need to make a decision. It wouldn't even matter if your parents were Baptist preachers and started a church with hundreds and maybe thousands of people. You 
need to decide to follow Jesus. It wouldn't matter if your parents started the first Methodist church, you know, way back in the day and, and there was revival and all that. Who cares? God doesn't care what your great, 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 great grandparents did back then. He cares a whole heap about the decisions that you're actually making with your life right now. You see, your value is not in your heritage. It's not because of the decisions that someone else has made. No one else can make a decision to follow Christ for you. It's something that you have to actually do yourself. And this is why I think this is so awesome. You get the ability to make that decision. So this cuts both ways. See, maybe your parents have never gone to church. Maybe your parents, they didn't want anything to do with it. They think that this, what we do is absolutely crazy. You know, the Bible says be transformed by the renewal of your mind, but they think it's, you've been transformed by the removal of your mind. They think you've lost your brain. You are absolutely crazy. How could you possibly believe in God and all this stuff? Here's a great part about it. I told you that sword cuts both ways. Maybe your parents never believed, but you get to make a decision to believe. That gets to be a choice that you make. So if you want to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you get to do that. And God will never become your father. We've sung such a beautiful song this morning. Our father. Well, maybe it's not for everyone. Because until you decide to make Jesus your Savior, God will never be your father. And here's how he actually believes you when you say, I want to receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. John said, start to live a lifestyle that confirms what you're saying. Actually, the words that John said specifically is bear fruit in accordance with repentance. You should bear fruits in accordance with repentance. I love the fact that he says in accordance with repentance, because let me tell you what he did not say. He did not say, I will believe you and your confession when you're perfect. All you got to do is just never sin again. And if you never sin again, that will be the evidence to us today that you're really serious about your decision to follow Jesus. But he doesn't say anything like that. No, actually, he says something completely different. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, you should know this, particularly if you're not often in church, God never expects you to be perfect. He actually does expect that you try if you believe in Him, but He certainly doesn't expect you to be perfect. Otherwise, why say repent? The word repent means you're just making course corrections. Shouldn't have said that. I'm back on track. Shouldn't have done that. I'm back on track. Shouldn't have looked at that. Back on track. Shouldn't have thought that. I'm back on track. Bear fruit in accordance with repentance. You just keep staying on course and keep doing the things that God has asked you to do. Because you need to know that when you make a decision to follow Jesus, you also make a decision to stop following everything and everyone else. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, it's just Him. And the reason it's important to know that is that if you're living a dual life, two paths, you're trying to walk down one track and go two ways, hey, just try it practically and tell me when you can't go any further. If you can't do it practically, if you couldn't do it physically, I'm telling you, you actually cannot do it spiritually. And just a little, you know, word of encouragement for you is 
If you're trying to go down two paths and you think you're living two lives, newsflash, you're not. You live in one. You just think you live in two. Here's something Jesus said. You can only ever have two masters. That's one master, my gosh. You can only ever have one master. Only ever one. In fact, here's how Jesus said it. He said, it will be either God or money. That was an example. He says, but you won't serve both. You'll serve one over the other. So eventually when you're trying to live two lives and you're trying to go down two paths, eventually you'll come to a point where you're stretched so far, you won't be able to do it forever. And eventually you've got to make a decision to go one way or the other. Have you ever heard of um, uh, bring your kids to work day? You know, some workplaces do it. I, I remember the day that I brought Jesus to work. It was, it was a revolutionary idea. You see, I kind of lived this life early on where uh, my church life was here and my work life was here and my friendship groups and circles were over here. And my life was going great. All I got to do is keep everything in its pillar to make sure that no life bleeds into the next and I can manage my life fine. And I remember one day Jesus said this to me. He said, why don't you ever bring me to work? I couldn't believe it. And with that thought and revelation, my entire uh, work life, personal life, spiritual life completely shifted. I remember I brought Jesus to work. When I brought Jesus to work, everything in my life started to shift and change. And I have so many great stories about this. Times when I would pray for people and they would just burst into tears. I'd get a word of knowledge and I'd share something with someone in the shop. And they'd say, I can't believe you could know that. I remember one time God said, this person who's coming to you right now, they're sick in their body. I want you to pray for them. I'm like, how am I going to do that? But we found a way. I remember putting everyone on the honor system and hoping to sweet Jesus that no one stole any of the products while I ran out of the store to go give a word of knowledge to someone in the car park because I felt they needed to hear it. This was my deal. God, you make sure no one steals and then I'll go and do what you asked me to do, yeah? We're in Moorabag. It was a bad idea. I don't know if anybody actually stole anything. I, I have no idea, but you know, I just kind of made that deal and went with it. You see, when you decide to follow Jesus, there's some fruit that comes out, isn't there? And you don't have to be like me. You didn't have to bring Jesus the way that I did. I mean, I did it in one way. You don't need to be strange. You don't need to be weird, but you do need to start to bear some fruit. You need to start to evidence something in your life that makes people realize that you've made a decision to follow Jesus. God says the root, the axe is at the root of the tree. Why why does he say that? It sounds so harsh. Not really. Actually, the reason that the axe is at the root of the tree, he's saying to all the people that were listening, John's audience, he's saying, you're not bearing any fruit. You're religious people. Let me tell you something that, that really breaks God's heart. A religious spirit and hypocritical people that misrepresent the heart of God to people who are far from him. And he is so serious about this. You want to know why he's threatening to cut down that tree? He's saying, you're actually keeping people away from me. 
with your lifestyle. You're living one way. You're pretending to be religious. You honor me with your lips. You've showed up for baptism today. You know, you've showed up to be baptized in the River Jordan. And yet at the same time, you're going to leave here today. You're going to walk out. You'll be completely unchanged by this experience. There's no commitment in the faith statements that you're making. You're misrepresenting me. And you've got to know something about God. He loves people and He doesn't like it when others keep them from Him. Hence, the axe is at the root of the tree. You see, a decision without commitment is pretty much nothing. A decision without commitment is not really anything. It's just empty talk. It's just words that fill the air. Did you know that baptism was around, and you probably picked this up from the text, before Jesus came? It was the baptism of repentance, and John would baptize people, and this is how it would work. He would say to them, all right, come down into the water and, and uh, they would wash their bodies and they would wash their clothes. And what is taking place on the outside, they believe there is something spiritual taking place at the same time. I'm washing the outside of my body and this is a religious ritual and rite. And as I wash the outside, the inside is becoming clean. And it makes sense. You know, that's, it's a symbolic representation. Here's the problem. What John was saying to his audience that day is, you guys have showed up to wash the outside. And you're treating this the way that you shouldn't. What you're really doing is you're saying, I'm going to come and get baptized today. I'm going to wash the outside so I can live my life, do whatever I want, say whatever I want, think whatever I want, behave however I want. All I've got to do is come back next week. I just get the outside washed. And as the outside gets washed, the inside is becoming clean. I think that's why the prophet Joel said, render your hearts and not your garments. Render your hearts and not your garments. Stop washing the outside and taking no responsibility for what's actually going on on the inside. In other words, he's saying, stop pretending. Stop pretending to be serious about loving God and just saying it with your mouth. When it actually comes to living it out, you don't. Just don't do that anymore. Just make a decision to follow Jesus and no one else. The people said to him in that passage we read, they said, what shall we do? Which is an awesome question because immediately we know that they're ready to repent. What shall we do? They're saying, I'm prepared to make a change in my life. I'm prepared to charter a different course. I'm prepared now, having heard what you've said, John, to not live the way I'm living anymore. So John, now I'm ready. What shall we do? Groups of people asked him and John's like, well, boy, let me, let me try to make this easy for you. Uh, don't lie. It's not rocket science. Stop lying. Stop cheating people out of money. Uh, don't extort them. Don't steal. That's a really good one. You want to follow Jesus? Don't, don't steal. Don't steal from the tax department. Don't steal from people. Just start following this life that Jesus has called you to. In other words, just be real. Be real. See, this is what you need to do. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you've got to live like you mean it because although you may not realize it, 
Your example is polarizing. It pushes people away from God or it pushes people towards God. Your example is going to push people one way or the other. So which way do you want to push people? Your example will move them. The way you live your life will be evidence. That's the fruit that John is asking for. You know, Jesus says, it says in the end that Jesus is going to sort out the guys that are just talking the talk and the guys that are walking the walk. He says He's going to get His winnowing fork, which is like this wooden fork, and they would use it and pick up the wheat. They'd throw it in the air and the wheat would go and the chaff would fall. And He goes, He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to separate who's making a decision. See, at the end of the day, you are going to die and meet Jesus or He's going to come back and you're going to meet Him on the way. And when that happens, He will say to you, are you the real deal? Did you bear fruit in your life? in accordance with repentance? Is that the life that you live in? I hope it is. Here's the great thing is that you've got an opportunity to make that decision whenever you want. You're not locked into anything. Your final selection has not been made. Your final choice is not over. You can make a decision today to walk and bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Your time is not over. You've got breath in your lungs. You've got another day. It's something that you can do. John, when he shares this Scripture, or when he writes this Scripture that we read today, it's awesome. It's, it's actually the first insight to the Gospel and the Kingdom of God that's coming to earth. He says, One's coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And you know what? That guy came. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life took the punishment for our sins, was crucified on the cross, was in the ground three days, was resurrected, sits at the right hand of majesty, intercedes for people who call upon His name. That is the gospel word. That is the gospel message. You see, the thing is, the example that we show will either tell people what I just said to you or it won't. The example we set for people will polarise people. How many people do you know that stick clear of church because of God? Hardly anyone. The reason people stick clear of church is because they met somebody who misrepresented the heart of the Father. And they said, I don't want anything to do with church after meeting that person. They went to a church where there was a pastor who was very religious and burnt them, or a leader that hurt them. They've engaged in some way in church life or ministry and someone did something that hurt them, but it's never God. It's always people, which is why He says, bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Make sure you're setting the right example and pushing people with everything you do towards Jesus. And so baptism, baptism is a symbol of identifying with Jesus Christ's death His burial and His resurrection. That's why we put people under the water. Death, burial. They sit up and they're resurrected. It's a public acknowledgement of their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you a scripture that is very powerful. Jesus said, If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you before the angels and before God. That's a good deal. If you don't acknowledge me before men, 
I will not acknowledge you before God. And when you're standing in the presence of the living God and your life is done and it's over and you're standing before Him, you really want Jesus to say, it's cool, He's with me. It's cool. He's one of your children. It's cool. He confessed me. He did it privately. He did it publicly. You want Jesus to do that. When people decide to get baptized, Paul the Apostle says, surely if we take part in, in, in that baptism process, as Jesus is resurrected, will we not be resurrected the same? When people make a decision to be baptized, it is a spiritually significant moment in their life. You know, baptism, it used to just be about repentance. You know what baptism is now? It's about our victory that we have through Christ. People would keep showing up for baptism. I need to repent again. I need to repent again. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of people. And when you confess that, He took your punishment. It means the price has been paid. The battle has been won. When we get baptized, what we're saying is that I am victorious through Christ who is strengthening me each and every day. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.